0: And I invite you to give your attention to God's Word Found in Luke No surprise there, right? As we continue our way through this Gospel narrative Toward this uh, record of the life and work of the Lord Jesus Luke, the beloved physician The doctor with good news We've seen the power of Christ at work In healing We've seen Him still the storm and the day we're going to see him deal with demons i had about eight or nine different titles for this sermon but i have certain songs that are so ingrained in my heart one of those is uh, there's a man in here by my friend don reed and his brother harold reed no surprise they are the statler brothers and so i've told don this week i said you just you know i can't get away from this stuff it's just in there and he said well that song was all brother harold he said it's the most requested sheet music that the Statler brothers ever composed or performed. But he does. He makes demons flee. Now, let's first of all take note of the fact that we admit that there there are demons. That puts us in a strange number in our country. People who are the intellectual elites would look askance at us and say, oh, you believe in all that superstitious stuff, do you? Well, just the fact that they're deceived bears testimony to the fact that there are deceiving demons out there. Otherwise, they would look at a beautiful sunset out here over the Gulf Coast and they would say, wow, God did that. So, yes, we understand that there is a real devil and others who have followed him, created beings created by God who once upon a time served God, but out of pride. They were cast away from the Lord's presence. And so these spirits continue to be a reality. We deal with invisible things all the time. We really do. I mean, right now there are all kinds of things swirling around you in in the air. You don't even see them. But if you had a television set and turned it on, you would suddenly realize that these things being broadcast through the air can be picked up by the right sort of receiver and actually... Turn out to be pictures and sound. You realize that? Radio waves. Give away my age here, real careful. Gotta watch out for that. But even in a digital age, always things that are invisible, unseen to the naked eye. So we acknowledge that. And looking together, Luke chapter 8, beginning with verse 26. Let us affirm this is the word of God. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he, that is Jesus, had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus Then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him so may the Lord bless this reading of his word. Because you remember, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall stand forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached to you. Amen. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, in continuing his ministry, now that he has gotten across the lake, Genezareth, or the sea, Galilee, both the same body of water... He has a particular destination to which he is headed, because every part of the Lord Jesus' ministry is filled with purpose. Nothing was by accident. Everything that he did was according to the Father's will. His intention was to go across the sea, and so it should be no surprise to us that he now is across. But immediately, as he steps out on land, he is confronted. He is confronted by a man who is filled with an evil spirit, or, to be more accurate, evil spirits. These... Demons, And it enables us to draw a conclusion from this, at least one point, that where the Lord is at work, satanic opposition is sure to appear. It is a fact. When the Apostle Paul was bidding farewell to the believers at Ephesus, he told them. He told them that false teachers would arise. They'll come from the outside and they'll also rise up from within. Now, it's not that Paul... Looking at the crowd, was able at that moment to be able to say, "Oh, that one and that one and that one are going to be false teachers." He simply knew that that's the way the spiritual works. That where the Holy Spirit is at work, sooner or later, Satan will rise up in opposition. Somebody told me years ago, if you're no threat to the kingdom of Satan, he'll leave you alone. I don't feel like I've ever been left alone. I don't know that I'm any particular threat, but I certainly don't feel like he's left me alone. And if you're a believer, I know you feel the same way. From the beginning, God having created the heavens and the earth and having created mankind in his image, male and female in his image, and having placed them in that perfect garden where they had perfect fellowship with him, even then Satan was not able to leave things alone. Disguised as a serpent as he was, he came and he tempted our first parents and they ate of the forbidden fruit. And we are still dealing with the fallout and the consequences. But God stepped in and made a promise. I will put enmity in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The first gospel in the Greek its proto-euangelion. Aren't you impressed? You can bring, bring that up the next birthday party you go to. And If the conversation lulls, you can just say, what do you think about the proto-euangelion? And they'll probably sidle away from you and start talking to somebody else. But still, it is a wonderful thing. It is the first gospel the first place that we have good news concerning the coming of one who will rescue. I will put enmity between you and the woman. That is between the serpent, Satan, and the woman that was tempted, and between your offspring and her offspring, or your seed and her seed, literally. Remember how Paul says in Galatians, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law? That's the Lord Jesus who is the fulfillment of this passage the seed that would come forth. There will be that enmity, that separation, that that warfare that will be ongoing. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. Now, if I think about wounds that I'm going to receive, I'd rather get one on the heel than the head. Because the one at the head will be fatal. And it will be indeed, as Christ has accomplished that in his work on the cross. Satan continues to be active in the world, but his days are numbered. And still he opposes the work of the Lord wherever it is. It is a fact. That's why Paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You know, we want to get all bent out of shape with each other, don't we? We want to have fights and spats in the church over things like what color carpet are we going to put down? Or what color are we going to paint the steeple, Or are we going to arrange the chairs in the Sunday school class so they're facing north or south? or. All these important matters that have caused falling outs over the years. We know there are those kinds of squabbles, and we don't have anybody to blame for that but ourselves. Our own sin nature is perfectly capable of having us at odds with each other. But ultimately, the real conflict is not the people that you can see in the room with you. It's the one who would just as soon be denied. He's perfectly happy to have preachers stand in pulpits like this one and declare that he doesn't exist. I mean, you can do your best work when you can do it. And people don't even think you're there. And so, that's our real adversary. And Paul, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and following, reminds us of that spiritual warfare that is ongoing. Because Satan opposes the Lord's work. It has been that way from the time of that temptation. We see uh, an example of it in Acts chapter 13, verses 9 to 10. When Saul, who will Soon, in Acts, be calling Paul consistently, Saul of Tarsus, otherwise known as Paul, same man. Also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at a particular individual, a man, and said, You son of the devil. Wow. You might wonder, Paul, shouldn't you have been a little more kind or gentle there? Not when you're dealing with Satan. Remember how Jesus said to Peter once upon a time, Get thee behind me, Satan. You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight path of the Lord? Now, in this pronouncement, my purpose is not to go in and explain everything that's happening in this passage. But what you get is a good character reference on Satan. What all is he up to? Look at that. Enemy of all righteousness. Full of all deceit and villainy making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. Just know that. And know that this same one who does that is the one who is capable of disguising himself as an angel of light. Things that might appear to be good. People claiming to be good in his name, yet acting and teaching contrary to the word of God. Steve Brown, the radio preacher from uh, going back years. I like him because of his hairstyle. um, But he's got a real deep voice. You know, he talks real deep. Anybody here heard Steve Brown? I asked him one time, I said, how do you get a voice like that? He said, oh, by smoking a pack a day for about 20 years. And I decided I didn't care to get it that way. But he has a saying every once in a while when he talks about some particular thing. He'll characterize it by saying, and it comes out of the pit of hell and it smells like smoke. Christian, you need to have discernment when you hear falsehood, when you hear people saying things that are absolutely contrary to the word of God. You know, our tendency is to think, well, you know, maybe they've studied that passage and they realize something. Listen, if they're saying something that is contrary to the word of God, it's wrong. I don't know how else to say it. And it's Satan doing the deceiving and leading people to do that. I just read an article this morning about an ordained Presbyterian pastor, so-called, advocating falsehood, blatant heresy. And I'm telling you right now, it is neither biblical nor godly, nor is it true. Satan is the author of lies. So as we read this passage, and I'm getting back to it. Understand that that's who we're dealing with. And the Lord Jesus was opposed. By these demons who had inhabited this man. Which I know is troubling to us. And it should be. They opposed his work. Now. As. uh, As this happens. And uh, as Jesus encounters. This individual. Note the gracious way that he deals. With him. Look at the circumstance of the man a man from the city who had demons for a long time he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs for jewish people there was no more unclean place that he could have been than living among the tombs this man is not in his right mind he's unclothed he's unkempt he's a danger to other people we know that from matthew's account of this He's in a terrible predicament. This man is unable to rescue himself from from these satanic creatures that inhabit him. It is a pitiful thing. And he is unable to call out for help. Nowhere in this passage is this man able to overcome the voices within him and ask Jesus to save him. But that is no impediment to the Lord's power. Even though he is unable to ask for salvation... The Lord Jesus graciously imparts it anyway. That's the power of the Lord at work. And so our gracious Lord being sovereign. We know that that sovereignty includes dominion over Satan and his demons. There's never any question about who's going to win this confrontation. They know they're coming out. The question is. Is Jesus going to torment them, torture them, punish them, cast them into the abyss, or something else? It's not a question about whether they're coming out. It's like, think of anything else the Lord Jesus did. Showing up the tomb of Lazarus It's one of my favorites. You know, there was no chance that Lazarus was ever going to stay in the grave. Especially when the Lord said, Lazarus, come forth. He couldn't have stayed in that grave any more than that I could have kept the sun from rising this morning. Can you imagine me standing out here and trying to press it down? Can you think of any more futile exercise than me trying to do that? Well, neither could Lazarus stay in the grave and neither could these demons continue to inhabit this man. It was clear the victory had already been accomplished. It's just a matter of it being carried out. And so Jesus in his great power demonstrates it in this moment. In John fourteen thirty, the Lord Jesus says, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. His earthly ministry, as the disciples had known it, is coming to an end at that point. But Jesus wants to make clear that even though Satan is at work in the midst of all the activity that leads up to the crucifixion, yet that evil one, has no claim on him. He has no sovereignty over him. Jesus has all power. Augustine of Hippo, otherwise known as St. Augustine, said The whole world, therefore, from the highest heavens to the lowest earth, is subject to the Creator, not to the Deserter, to the Redeemer, not to the Destroyer, to the Deliverer, not to the Enslaver, to the Teacher, Not to the deceiver. Isn't that good news? We see evil at work in the world, and yet we know the one who is sovereign over it all. And so as this interaction takes place, we see it in that way that Jesus is absolutely sovereign and the outcome is never in doubt. And notice that the demons are able to confess something that most of the world refuses to acknowledge. What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Suddenly, he's confessing what the great religious leaders of that day were incapable of acknowledging. He has a knowledge that exceeds even that of the disciples. So note this. This is a sub-point. You can have good head knowledge of the things of God and yet still be lost. James says, you believe in God, you do well. The demons also believe and they tremble. It's not enough to know about the Lord Jesus, even to be able to identify him. It matters whether or not you actually have a relationship with him, whether you have yielded self and trusted in him. They have a good theology, and yet they're demons. So don't torment me as he already had commanded them to come out. Remember, it's just a matter. He's in the process of casting them out. They're coming out. This poor man bound shackled would even break chains be driven into the desert it's a pitiful pitiful picture so Jesus compassionately asks what's your name he's not asking the demons he's asking the man what is your name but the demons answer and this is the most troubling part legion now legion literally means it's a it's a Roman grouping of soldiers numbering about 6,000 now nobody Believe that there were literally 6,000 demons, but there certainly are a large number, perhaps 2,000 given the number of swine that meet their destruction, but a number of them. And it's a curiosity about the way the Lord Jesus deals with these demons at this point in begging Him not to send them to the abyss, to hell, literally. And so the Lord Jesus cast them into the swine. You see, the one who has all authority abounds in mercy. The time has not yet come. These demons will meet with the final judgment. But in the meantime, in mercy, he rids the man of his inhabitants, casting them into the swine. And so, he acts. We see that in verse 28. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, he fell down. What have you to do with me? We see in Psalm one hundred forty five verse eight The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We've all have encountered people who have authority, and some people have a little more authority than they're able to handle. You know, they're in charge and they want everybody to know it. And they're not particularly compassionate with the people that they're in charge of leading. We've all met with that kind of poor leadership. But you can be confident in your heavenly father who has all authority and who has all power and his son, who is the king of kings and lord of lords, and never have to wonder whether or not he's going to be compassionate with you, whether he's going to be caring toward you. If you come in repentance and faith. We can know that. He didn't even at this moment give the demons what they deserved. Now, I don't want to go too much farther with that because there's about as much discussion on this topic as anything in the scriptures. And really smart people have spent a lot of time writing about it. And I don't want to pretend to know more than they do. But in my simple mind, that's what I gained from this, that whatever else you may gain from it. Number one, Christ has complete sovereignty over those demons. He could have cast them wherever he wanted to. He sends them into the swine. But I believe he does that in order to demonstrate to us just the nature of these beings. We'll get to that in a moment. So there's deliverance. There's rescue. He gave them permission to go into the swine. They come out of the man. They enter the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. It is interesting to me that in this time, in this culture, we're seeing a resurgence of Satan worship. We even have people who are chaplains in our military and filling official positions, even praying to open governmental meetings who claim to be worshipers of Satan. Isn't that extraordinary? Founders of our nation would be, I won't say turning in their graves, but uh, they would be astounded that we have uh, carried things to that extent. But make no mistake. Satan's intent is to destroy. He's not out to make life more difficult for people. He's out to kill you. Peter says he's like a lion that's going about seeking someone to devour. Now, you know, you can talk about how cats like to play with things. You know, we've all seen cats do that. That's not what Satan does. He is out to destroy. So whoever you are, Whatever your thought may be with regard to the subject, Satan has no thought of making life easier for you. His only intent is to destroy and kill and he will deceive and use any means to get you to that point. That's why we need the Lord Jesus. If you have Christ in your life, if you're trusting in Him, the Holy Spirit inhabits you and you don't need to worry about whether or not you can be demon-possessed. You cannot be possessed by a demon if you're inhabited by the Holy Spirit. Now, can you be oppressed? Can those fiery darts be hurled at you? Of course. He'll seek to manipulate our thoughts. He'll seek to do anything that he can. But he cannot inhabit you in the way that he has this man if Christ is in you. He who is within you is greater than he who is in the world. Oh, how I thank the Lord for that sure and certain knowledge. And so, you see these... Pigs hurling themselves into the sea, that's what satanic indwelling seeks to do, destroy. Those pigs had no way of of opposing that influence by their own will. You know, and you get all kinds of questions at this point. Bertrand Russell, the famous philosopher, claimed that he couldn't be a follower of Jesus because Jesus cast these demons into the swine and he, he just killed those pigs. That's what he said. And I'm thinking, man, talk about smart people being deceived. There's an extremely intelligent individual who was deceived who claimed not to follow Jesus because he destroyed pigs. He provides us an example of where a lack of a right relationship with Christ will lead. Destruction, sure and certain. Those pigs didn't pass go. They didn't collect $200. They went straight into the ocean. Or sea, lake, excuse me. Now, you'd think everybody would be happy about this. But when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled, told it to the city and the country. The people came from everywhere, paraphrasing. They came to Jesus, found the man from whom the demons had gone again. You would think they would be happy. Here's a man who's liberated, who now is sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Just like the disciples when the storm was calmed, they were afraid when they saw this. Daryl Bach says that in a complete reversal of the previously possessed man's demeanor, he is now clothed, whereas before he had been naked. He is now seated, whereas before he had been roaming. He is now associating with others as he sits at Jesus' feet, whereas before he sought solitude, he is now of sound mind, whereas before he had been crying out in a loud voice, He's now comfortable in the presence of Jesus, whereas before he wanted nothing to do with him. It is conversion. It is a life that is converted to faith in Christ. J.C. Ryle, the Anglican theologian of the 19th century, said, never is a man in his right mind until he is converted or in his right place till he sits by faith at the feet of Jesus or rightly clothed till he has put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Real conversion, he says, is nothing else but the miraculous release of a captive, the miraculous restoration of a man to his right mind, the miraculous deliverance of a soul from the devil. True conversion. So here is a man who is at rest. Others should be rejoicing, but they're not. They're they're fearful. They're afraid and They've lost their livelihood. These people who should have had nothing to do with pigs, because in the old covenant, swine, after all, were deemed to be unclean. You weren't to eat them, be associated with them in any way, but somehow they had determined to make a living in this way. But rather than rejoicing at the liberation of the human being, they they are afraid and they want Jesus to leave. John Oxenham, who was actually William Arthur Dunkerley. I've read this man's poetry before. It wasn't until this last week that I knew that Oxenham was a pen name. But in one of his famous poems called Gadara, A.D. 31, he says and summarizes what happens in this instance when the people see Jesus, the swine destroyed, the man delivered. Rabbi, be gone. Thy powers bring loss to us and ours. Our ways are not as thine. Thou lovest men, we swine. Oh, get you hence, omnipotence, and take this fool of thine. His soul, what care we for his soul? What good to us that thou hast made him whole, since we have lost our swine? Is that not a commentary? not just for A.D. whatever year. It may actually have been 31 or otherwise, but our own time as well. But what of this man? For all of those who didn't get it, the man who was rescued, he certainly got it, and he didn't want to leave the presence of the Lord. And we see that the primary task of missions, because this, after all, is a passage which proclaims to us the glorious opportunity of missions, that that primary task is simply telling the world what Jesus has done. As much as he wanted to stay with Jesus, Jesus said, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Now, first of all, notice, here's an equation. God equals Jesus. Tell them what God has done. Luke tells us that he told them what Jesus had done. There's no distinction in those two names. What Christ has accomplished is what God has accomplished through his beloved son. Jesus is God. It is an affirmation of triune doctrine. And we read in Acts one eight, do we not? Where Jesus himself said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. For what purpose? For what purpose? Is it to impress the world? Is it to show others just what kind of a great guy I am? No, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses
1: in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria
0: and to the end of the earth. That's what we do. In living the life of a follower of Christ, we are going everywhere telling everybody about Christ with words and actions. But we can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, there are spiritual forces in opposition to us. But remember what I said earlier from Scripture. He who is within you is greater than he who is in the world. Christ has triumphed over those powers. Colossians two thirteen through 15. Remember this. And you, here's the bad news, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Not very flattering, is it? Here's the good news. God made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. How many times have I heard, It is well with my soul, sung by Christians? And it's like when we get to that particular verse, everybody in the room feels it. You can just feel the energy of the song increase with an intensity. As we all who have come to an understanding of what forgiveness means and how the Lord Jesus has taken our sin debt and it's been nailed to the cross, it's almost like people want to take out a hammer and say, "Nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more." Just want to make sure you're awake before you go to lunch. This afternoon, it's a glorious thought, but that's not all. Paul goes on to say in Colossians chapter two, verse fifteen, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them and him. These demons were shamed when the Lord Christ cast them out into those pigs. But that's nothing compared to what he did on the cross. Oh, it appeared that Satan had won. It looked as if the whole demonic host were triumphant over the Son of God, but exactly the opposite is true. For when the Son of God breathes His last, I'm telling you here and now, Satan's days were numbered. And all of those who follow Him, their days too are numbered. And it's only a matter of time before the ultimate triumph comes where Satan and his demonic host are cast into that abyss. And sin and evil will be no more. I know that's the answer. Whether it's abortion child sex trafficking whether it's the wholesale killing stealing ravaging that we see do we not realize more and more that we have no human devised program whatsoever that can rescue us from this dilemma but Jesus himself has paid the debt again I think of the song then came the morning darkness pervaded the whole earth when Christ breathed his last and said paid in full it is finished and father into my into thy hands I commend my spirit and they placed him in a cold dark tomb but morning dawned and the risen living son of God strode forth and his power over death the devil And hell itself has been made manifest. And you and I are a testimony to as many as believe in Him and are called the children of God. We too have that same victory. And we too have been rescued. And we too have the privilege of telling the world what God has done. How could we do anything else? The world needs good news. And Jesus is... That news. He is the gospel. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by Him because no one can do what Jesus has done. May God bless us to know Him and may God bless you to know that in Him you have triumphed over evil. Even death, even that last enemy is destroyed. What's left? If you take away the evil and wickedness of the demonic host, and even death itself. What else is left? Everlasting life with Christ our Savior. Bless his name. Let's pray. Father in heaven, grant to us, O Lord, we pray, an understanding that we could not attain unto in and of ourselves. Our natural minds are simply incapable of discerning this truth. But we pray for that enlightenment that the Holy Spirit grants. The same spirit that gives us power to be witnesses. Oh, Father, may you hear us as we pray and as we ask you to continue to work in this world, rescuing people from sin and death who are not even now asking to be rescued, but are held under the dominion of darkness. Oh, Father, cause the light to shine even in the darkest of places and continue to perform the rescue even as you use instruments imperfect and flawed as we are to accomplish that purpose that through us the world may know the story of Jesus and His love. For it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, George Kilpatrick, you knew we were going to get to this. Our final hymn, I Love to Tell the Story. Now, Debbie... I want you to play this with a tempo of joy because we want to sing it with joy. And let's stand
1: together as we do it. I'd love to tell the story.
0: Keep you and cause his face to shine upon you And be gracious unto you And may the Lord lift up unto you His countenance and give you his peace And joy Both now and forevermore And everyone said together Amen. Amen